few days ago we published part one, the interview with Zana at Foundation for Armenian Science and Technology. Now comes part two of this long interview. Welcome to Interlace podcast. Society and maybe even academia, maybe you want to add a few words, but I was mainly curious about what general attitude you expect from other players in the field and authorities towards these initiatives. Do you, do you expect to, to get support uh, or maybe more resistance? Yeah, it's a tricky question. I actually don't know if I am honest. So we have been actually in touch with um, the authorities and some other uh, players. I know people get excited when I tell about this like this, uh, but when, when we speak about implementation, obviously it carries a lot of difficulties with it. The way we want to approach this is potentially shape a couple of pilots and run them in, in such way that it's not you know, painful or harmful to anyone and prove, do the proof of concept in a way. And then um, because we also really uh, focus on impact investment and to, you know, we, we try to see how um, you know, the, the new programs we do, how they will be disrupting the ecosystem and what impact they, they would have. We tend to collaborate with, with uh, the government and international development organizations to see how this transition can be done smoothly. Um, the Minister of Education and Science in Armenia is the ex-official member of our board of advisors. Uh, so we sort of have this official link with the government to ensure that whatever we do is, you know, they are at least aware and it's in line with whatever they are trying to do. Obviously, this is something that the government can't just deploy because it will disrupt the entire system. But since we ourselves are now in the design phase, the way we want to approach this is to test a couple of things and then come up with a scale up sort of the transition program to see how we can, you know, uh, really do this. And there are a couple of uh, development organizations and several international um, universities and think tanks that we are now currently sort of working on to create a consortium around this to make sure that we bring in the best, best sort of experts and minds um, into this. But yeah, it is going to be a little experimental and risky. So definitely there will be either resistance or at least cautious approach to, to these things. And, and we at this stage don't anticipate um, we don't need a large scale support to run a couple of sort of smaller scale things to see how, how we can scale this um, in general. I, I hope I answered the question. Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. and finally, just to close on this topic, um, do you think there could be an international perspective for this kind of experiment? Well, now it's too early to say because you even haven't started with the national one, but in perspective, do you think that this could be developed into a transnational project idea? Um, that's the aspiration behind this. So if I would say the ambition behind this is to make Armenia testbed for innovative solutions in education and really trying to, to create this new um, educational reality and process that, that the new world might anticipate. We try to involve international partners at the moment already. Um, and, and if everything works, I think this is something that uh, could be potentially then exported. Yes, 
for the global markets. That's at least the aspiration behind it. And I was thinking about this interview today and I came up uh, with a quite funny anecdote, actually. Uh, because we went together with Christopher uh, to Georgia and Armenia on a contact seminar. It was seven, eight years ago. 2012. Organized, you remember that? <laughs> Organized by the National Agency. And we went first to Georgia. We didn't know each other. We didn't talk to each other in Georgia. We talked to each other for the first time in Yerevan at the breakfast uh, of the guest house. Uh, and then we said, oh, maybe we could do something together one day and let's see how it goes. And one hour later, I was sent to the Russian-Armenian University where I met the international coordinator, who was Susanna. And that I just realized that I basically met both of you in a time frame of one hour. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much the listeners care about this, but it was quite funny. And this was just to move more to your background um, and look more into the internationalization of higher education in Armenia, and especially because you have this uh, experience in running the international cooperation department at one of the leading universities of Armenia. Uh, so we, we wonder whether you can spend a few words on some uh, topical aspects of internationalization to start with. So starting with uh, the, the broader picture, the implementation of the Bologna process, what is the current state and what are, according to you, the main criticalities that prevent a full rollout of the needed reforms and what is, according to you, that is instead being accomplished properly in this area? Mm -hmm. So I think Bologna process was in general a challenging process for post-Soviet countries the, or Eastern Partnership countries, uh, our regional sort of uh, countries, because it was more or less the transition to tertiary education was done artificially. Uh, they just took the existing programs, tried to split it in a way in, into BA and MA and, and put one or two other programs into this. And what this has brought to is that the master level education is not very good and, and, and was lagging behind for a long while uh, until I think last maybe five, seven years when finally sort of new master programs, interdisciplinary master programs have been shaped up. Some master programs with industry partners have been shaped up locally. Um, and I think that that has been beneficial in terms of increasing the quality of education. It took a while, and I think there is still a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, but now the, the MA level is getting better. With doctoral education, it's a little more challenging because we still have this two-step um, program where you have you know, the candidate, the PhD, the candidate, um, and then the doctor which is the old sort of Soviet system. And um, it's always hard to do this, to, to ensure the sort of equivalency with European or US, obviously doctoral programs and all of these different challenges this brings in. But the country is sort of on the way of finally <laughs> putting down this two-step thing. So I think if there is one EU supported program focusing on this, ARMDOC, and, and hopefully by the end of this program, 
there will be one step like doctoral program in the country that will be a big shock for the system to be honest and there is a lot of resistance to this for so many reasons uh but but i think it's an important step for the country to finally like fully transition into tertiary education and this will really increase the international recognition of our degrees which is uh sort another challenge that many of our students who had to you know continue their education or, or, or research career have have faced um, when it comes to mobility i would say there is uh, definitely a positive trend when i was uh, starting to work in the university it was 10 years ago there were like zero <laughs> uh, international students traveling to eu uh, although the funding of erasmus mundus then uh, was in place, it was still very challenging to, to um, get the process go, to have eligible students, to, to, to ensure that the universities know why we would even need to engage in the mobility. Um, but I, I would say it was, uh, from my personal experience, a very challenging thing to do in a local university, even in our university, which was which is an international university because it's an intergovernmental university. So Russian, Armenian, two countries have established it. But when it comes to, you know, mobility to Europe, then, you know, the recognition issues emerge. How would you transfer the credits and, and, and all of that? It was very challenging to set up the system in the beginning. And there was a lot of resistance, a lot of challenges in, in the recognition. But then I think gradually we sort of pushed the walls um, and the, the National Erasmus office now, then Tempus office was also quite active in trying to facilitate this process. And, and I would say that when we were starting, there were like less than 10 students uh, that from in the entire country would go. And, and now there is a bigger amount, well, before COVID. Uh, many universities have realized how to do this, the importance of doing this, and also the students and parents have matured and understood the benefits of, of these mobilities, both in terms of knowledge transfer, which is extremely important, but also network building, you know, uh, helping the students to mature more, because this is also a very cultural thing here. It was sometimes you would encourage the student and then the parents would come in and and I think we had a transition during this last 10 years there as well now it's it's much more the, the students are much more ready the families are much more encouraging and most importantly the universities at least the bigger ones already have some systems the recognition process and credit transfer is not smooth uh, but at least there is an intention and some attempt to sort of do this from the universities, even though it's challenging, which is, I think, the most important thing here. Uh, I would wish to have more mobility internally. This is something that I think the local university system hasn't been putting much emphasis on, but there is a lot of potential, as I was mentioning, this consolidation of resources and, you know, the opportunity for students to go and take the best classes for, let's say, physics in another university versus, you know, bearing their, let's say, mediocre professor. That would be, I think, very beneficial and also increase the competitiveness of programs. Then you would have more fair sort of quality control and competition between the universities. 
but I think we are on that way. Hopefully the country now, the ministry I know is trying to facilitate this process and hopefully there will be much more intensive internal mobility, which is also an important part of Bologna uh, process as well. So you have covered the uh, international mobility part of the Bologna process, but another important component is uh, of the Bologna process are the joint programs at master level, which have been very high on the agenda uh, of the Bologna ministers. Uh, but these type of collaborative programs uh, in Armenia have been very limited until very recently. Uh, how is the situation evolving and do you have any good examples in mind of currently existing or recent uh, joint programs at master level? Sure. Yeah, that's a tough one. So when, when um, 10 years ago, there were like only two programs, um, joint degree that were run and, and they were in, in our university. Um, the challenge is that the legislation is not really providing room for joint degrees. So the universities have to be super creative in terms of, you know, ensuring how, how you would do that. And in the end of the day, if we really go into terminology, what we have on the ground is not really joint degrees, but rather like double degrees. Um, and um, that said, you know, you would just do either you would, they would get like either two diplomas and do some transfer of credits versus just having like one uh, joint diploma. But that technicality uh, let, let aside, um, now we have a lot of joint degrees on the ground. And I think the universities have now more and more understood that the one of the biggest ways to raise the quality of master education is either to do it with the industry partners or do international degrees. And definitely this is not even the future of um, education, higher education anymore, but the, the sort of the current most important uh, pathway that the universities have to take, especially for a master um, level. Um, and I think we have now many, many more on the ground. And um, although the legislation is still not very flexible, many of you universities have taken this path. I think one of the recent ones I would want to mention uh, is uh, a master degree on machine learning that Yerevan State University um, has now uh, been launching with San Jose State University, which is you know, one of the leading universities in California in terms of providing BA and MA education in, in machine learning. Um, and I think this this was a quite successful collaboration uh, for, for the last, I think, three years or maybe two years they have established this and they have been doing exchanges in, in, in terms of both students and professors now trying to leverage the opportunities that the hybrid learning is providing. And I think with COVID, again, digitalization of education and shift to hybrid learning, I think we will have many more joint degrees now already within this mo modality. Uh, locally. And what is the situation just to conclude this part uh, about joint doctorate? Uh, are they being developed and do you see any possible synergy with the activities of um, your foundation um, in terms, for example, of international research programs? Um, I know that there is a specific recent project covering this topic uh, with the scope also to facilitate inclusion of industry in this type of collaborative programs that maybe you want to mention. Well, doctoral degrees are something, joint doctoral degrees, we don't have on the ground at all. 
Um, and to be honest, the, in general, doctoral education um, is, is in a quite devastating situation uh, because the scientific uh, schools that, that exist um, are not very strong. Are, are, we have few professors who, who are already you know, um, able to, to prepare the new generation and provide competitive education. There are definitely some really good professors there. But there are fewer and fewer of them, unfortunately, and the new generation is not coming in. So I wouldn't say the doctoral education is very competitive and we don't have any joint degrees. And I think the important step for this, as, as we have um, earlier discussed, is first of all, eliminate this two-step education. Then you would be able to merge the resources that, there, that are spent on this two-step education. And hopefully, yes, move to doctoral degrees. There is this one EU-funded program called ARM-DOC. It's, it's an Erasmus Plus program, structural measures, which means the ministry is involved there and it's a national project. What they try to do is to do the shift for the two steps to one, to ensure that the legislation allows joint doctoral programs because you know how this process goes. There are a lot of regulations in terms of defenses, who can be the, the advisor of the, the candidate in terms of uh, their thesis that they are writing. And there are a lot of uh, um, minor things that have to be changed there. So the entire system has to be reconsidered uh, for ensuring that. But also an interesting th thing that they are doing and trying to push is industrial doctoral programs, which is also, I think, very important thing and a big potential that the country has there. Uh, we are uh, trying to support the effort as much as we can. Uh, we, we, we also think that frameworks such as our advanced STEM research grant, which is basically actually bringing in the international research to Armenia can support this because the way this framework works is yes, the PI is mainly uh, established abroad, but they have a commitment to come to Armenia for a couple of months every year. And they commit also to teach to PhD students and master students. So we hope that with these experts that come into Armenia, not only to lead the researchers locally, but also to teach and prepare the new generation, with, if we scale this program and have many more frameworks that would bring in the diaspora professors and, and established scientists, we would be able to build also doctoral programs, including with the universities and labs that where they are working at. Obviously, it's easier to say it than to do it because joint doctoral programs in general are super complicated things globally. But I think there is a big potential there. And with the diaspora capital that we have, I think we can uh, build several joint programs, at least with European universities, actually, um, versus the, the US, it would be even more challenging. But I think with Euro Europeans, given the Bologna process and so many mechanisms that the Bologna process and all these international recognition mechanisms uh, offer, I think we could potentially do it. So I, I have an optimistic <laughs> desire that the country will, will do this and we, we will be supporting this as much as possible. Before we close this session, we have a final question. This is for the, the, the crystal ball, so to speak. What kind of developments and trends do you think we can expect in the midterm period or when it comes to internationalization? of education, science, and innovation in Armenia? 
Um, I think we have three major sort of um, vectors that will develop in terms of internationalization. In terms of education, I really think that uh, leveraging the network diaspora and also the different frameworks that we are part of European neighboring countries, Eurasian Union and all of these networks, I think hybrid education and joint degrees are sort of the way we will go and this will help us increase the quality of education by really heavily internationalizing it. So I think that's that's one of the biggest trends that the country has to take and is sort of on the way of taking. In terms of research, um, again, I think there, ha there have to be a lot of frameworks where we would either encourage temporary or long-term repatriation of diasporans or create such regional programs uh, that would attract also different other um, stakeholders. And in this regard, you know, some of the programs we run such, the, such as the advanced grant program, or we have a life science incubator that we're now a regional one establishing here in the country, will pull in the international researchers. And also now with the opportunity to do, you know, hybrid uh, research as well, where you would have, you know, the collaborators not necessarily physically working with each other, that opens up a lot of opportunities, which we are very committed. And I think the scientific community also understand that's the way to go. And then one thing I think that doesn't really cover what we are speaking about, but that's the outcome of all of this and, and the commercialization of science is that we have a quite interesting now startup ecosystem that is blooming last five to seven years. Um, and and we, we ourselves have established two science venture builders here, science intensive venture builders. And, and those are run, these acceleration and incubation programs are run heavily with the involvement of different experts from abroad. That means the sort of the technology transfer process and commercialization of science process is now so international, now already on the ground. And, and I think in the future, it will even more expand now that we have more sort of startups, tech-backed sort of startups coming in. The VCs are getting interested in this, you know, investors will soon pull into, into the country because of the potential that the community is offering. And here, the link of the education and research, you know, fundamental research with the, the tech and the industry will be um, a big opportunity that we will be opening up uh, for the world. With those words, we have reached the end of this session. Thank you so much for giving us this broad overview of your foundation and about the education in, in Armenia. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity and an amazing podcast that you are running. Thank you. For links and more information, please visit our website interlacepodcast.com or social media, Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening.